Hey, Crystal. Yes, Joseph. What are ways people unintentionally shut down vulnerability in a conversation? Mm, I bet we could talk about it. Let's. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. It was a little bit of a... Uh, fake question. I knew some answers to the to the question. Yeah, sometimes we do that at the beginning of our. It's called a hook podcast. Yeah. So ways that we usually accidentally shut down vulnerability. Now, before we dive into this, I do want to say boundaries are important, and there are times where it is important to actually slow down or stop vulnerability that's going on. That probably could be a whole nother podcast in and of itself, which we don't currently have planned, but we can come back to that. So, uh, but you could intentionally use what we're about to talk about if you feel like you just need to like put a stop on the vulnerability. That seems super passive aggressive. Well, maybe it's not the best idea, but these are things that I know I have done in conversations where I felt like it was going really well, and then I, I did this thing, and then it was going less well, and I wasn't quite sure why. And then recently, Joseph, you found this list of 12 roadblocks roadblocks to vulnerability, and um, I was like, oh, I do these things. So we're not going to talk about all 12 roadblocks, because that would take a long time. But, dear listener, if after hearing the few roadblocks we're going to talk about now, you'd be interested in hearing about more of the roadblocks, please email us, let us know, or Facebook or Instagram us. What's our email now? Hello at ouroutpost.org. So you can email us at our outpost on Instagram and Facebook as well. So So these are roadblocks. Um, I got this from a book and from a class that I took back in college on interpersonal communication. And these were very convicting when I read through them as an undergrad. They were convicting again after a few years went by and I revisited them and realized I fell into them again without realizing. And they were convicting again when I pulled them out about a month ago and went over them with them with you. So my favorite one, and Mm -hmm. by my favorite, I mean, I do it a lot. I see other people do it all the time. It's very common and it's a roadblock. And by that we mean very often the the channel of conversation that allows for intimacy is blocked. It doesn't have to mean that that happens every time this is done, but this tends to have the effect of um, shutting out that kind of intimacy that could have been there. So someone tells you a story and you're thinking in your head as they're showing the story. This reminds me about when I went through something similar. <clears throat> And then, well, what I do when this happens, somebody's telling me a story, something comes to my mind, I think, I know what they're going through. And I say something to the effect of, yeah, I know what that's like. And then I share the story that came to my mind that I feel like relates to the share, the story that they shared. Now, I usually think this seems like a decent idea because I want people to feel like 
I understand where they're coming from and maybe I've been in a similar place. And so I think maybe if I share a time when I've gone through something similar, that that would be helpful. Now, once in a blue moon, this is actually helpful. Um, When people do this to me, I find it helpful about 10% of the time. But about 90% of the time, I find myself thinking, well, you just made this about you and you actually have no idea what I feel like or what I'm going through. And the story that you're sharing doesn't actually map onto the story that I shared very much at all. Um, And so I, but there's this one time that sticks out in my memory where I was sharing something that was going on with my special needs daughter with this woman, excuse me, and she asked some very poignant questions after I finished sharing. And I really felt known by her. I found out later, much later, that she was a nurse and that she had worked with kids with, like families with special needs kids. And so she probably had like a million stories that she could have shared um, that would have like sort of kind of mapped on to what I was experiencing. But instead, what she did was she drew on the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to be able to ask questions that made me feel heard and known. So this is something I'm trying to work on is instead of coming back with a story, which is a roadblock, to think if there is a story that's coming to my mind to say to myself, okay, I don't actually need to share this story, but what, what is there a feeling? Is there something I learned? Is there some way that I can ask a question to see if what this other person is going through actually maps onto my experience or not? Um, And I think this goes back to like we were talking about in our last podcast of um, I don't want to make assumptions about whether or not I actually understand um, where this person is coming from and what's going on. So putting me in a posture of humility. Does this relate to something I've experienced or not? And giving the space to find that out. Yeah, and I think... What happens if we allow the roadblock to remain is, you know, the, the story could have become an on-ramp to, um, I don't know, a more vulnerable highway. The analogy breaks down. I realize this. But instead, there's a detour into a more superficial highway. And what I have found is when people start getting into the habit of taking the detour into the more superficial, that that becomes more and more ingrained whether it becomes more and more ingrained in a person or in the context of an evening spent with people. If we take that turn once, then we're more likely to take that turn again until the evening becomes just a series of rapidly told stories that are loosely connected by something that nobody took the time to, to stop and say, why, why this story? What, what more is going on here? What was, the lesson learned, uh, what was the, the point, what, where, where, where would you like to go with that? Um, and, and so to see, like, there's something pleasant in the sharing of stories, and there's something potentially pleasant about just going around and swapping tales uh, for a while. And I don't want to say that that should never be done, but if our goal is to become more, more known, more loved, and more knowing and more loving, then that's not the turn we want to take. We don't want to take the detour toward the more superficial. 
So to, to learn to say, okay, this story happened. They told it for a reason. Can I find either what their reason was or find some way to divine more from them instead of making it about me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so the sharing of a story in return is can be called diversion, right? So we're diverting away from what this person has been talking about, what this person is sharing, and usually through the story turning it on ourselves. Whether that's our intent or not, that is typically what happens. Um, and and if it's then back and forth of sharing, story sharing, then it's just diversion after diversion after diversion instead of actually getting to know more um, on, a, on a deeper level and understanding why a person's sharing a story, why that's important. Okay, so diverting unnecessary. And just, just a note, I don't know of a really good thing to do once a group has gotten onto that track. Yeah, so dear listener, if you know how to take a group of people sharing story after story after story and make it to top and make it be better, please tell us. We will interview you. We will share it with the world. <laughs> if you don't want to be interviewed, we can we can approach it differently. Yeah. Because we see a lot of diverting in small group settings. And we've been guilty of it as well, as, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned, Crystal. Mm-hmm. So At least I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of just being silent. <laughs> I am. Well, I am in, insofar as I know that's not the only thing to do. But in lieu of something better, I've still stuck to my guns for the most part. Um, and not that like that should never happen. It's just if it's the only thing that's ever happening or it's impossible to get out of that, it's discouraging. Okay. So we- another roadblock. Another roadblock. That we might not see immediately as a roadblock is when we start praising someone evaluatively. Right, They come to us with a concern, they come to us with something vulnerable, and our response is we start talking about how good they are, how bright they are, how talented they are, how skillful they are. Right, it, it, We're making a judgment about them that doesn't actually relate to the issue at hand. Right, So it's, it's in this case, it's a kind of diversion, but it's also uh, a misapplication of judgment. Uh, this this comes up a lot in uh, Montessori-influenced education and catechesis of the Good Shepherd, where the the teacher is instructed, is trained in not praising evaluatively, right? If a student comes with uh, a work of art of theirs, the, the teacher is trained to not say, wow, what a good job you've done. Wow, you must be such a little artist. Uh, but instead to say, tell me more about this. Tell me about the decisions you made. Tell me about why you used the color over here. What did you learn while making it? Uh, when we start praising evaluatively, there can be, uh, whether we intend it or not, uh, some aspect of manipulation of saying, I'm, I'm trying to uh, get you to continue down this line, this path. Um, whereas... The Montessori approach is to say, you know, let, let people find a good path and, and let their love, their sense of wonder, their sense of play help out and, and be driving influences. 
Uh, but it also, when we praise evaluatively, when we start making judgments about the person, uh, we, we did a couple of podcasts very early on in this podcast about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A growth mindset will say, I am not just what I have done. I am not just um, whatever ability that I have honed or knowledge I have gained or lack of knowledge or lack of ability. Um, But in some sense, I am capable of growth and I don't need to be defined by other people's judgments about how good I am. I can use that input if I'd like in order to grow but I don't need that to define me. And oftentimes when we're praising evaluatively, we're encouraging people to be defined by our opinion. And that's an odd thing, right? Um, and it does shut down vulnerability because we are changing the definition of who they are from who they really are to who we'd like them to be. Um, when we start defining them, that does not lend itself to vulnerability for some reason when people feel less known and more defined by others. Yeah. Does that one make sense to you? It does. And I just, maybe to share a couple more examples, two that are coming to mind are sort of the classic, if somebody says, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm so ugly, maybe. There's this, I have an inclination to say, oh, no, you're not. You're quite smart about X, Y, and Z. Or, oh, no, you're not. You're you're really beautiful, especially when you, whatever. And being able to instead stop and say, what, why would you say that? Or would you tell me more? Or would you tell me more about that? Um, to, to ask questions instead of jumping right into praising evaluatively, jumping right into, well, and I guess this jumps into reassuring as well, which is what, what the other one that we kind of wanted to talk about is we have this alongside of praising evaluatively, we have this desire to reassure people when they're having doubts or when they're um, maybe being self-deprecating and it, well, it seems somewhat logical that on the surface level that it could make sense to say, oh, this is a good job or, oh, you're actually beautiful. It doesn't, it's not actually listening. It's not actually addressing the person and what is actually going on in a way that opens up vulnerability. And this is why it's a roadblock. So to be able to, if it's appropriate for the relationship and for the time and space, to stop and to ask questions and to say, why would you say that instead of reassuring or making some sort of evaluative statement? Yeah, there's something about when we offer, I mean, so when we're talking about somebody sharing something vulnerable, especially something that's been negative, a fear, a concern, a wound, something like that, and we respond by uh, almost too much positivity, we then become antagonistic to where they are Mm-hmm. instead of meeting them where they are, right? When we say, no, no, you've got this, we, we are fighting them. We're saying, here we are on the other side of this this battle that you're, you're waging against the world, and we're, say, we're, we're combating you. We're saying you're wrong. And that, that doesn't tend to be a good way to help somebody come out of their shell, to help somebody to share more, to help somebody uh, invite you in to invite me in uh, when we say, no, no, you're wrong. You know, it, it sounds very positive to say, uh, you're not stupid, you're, you're quite bright. But there's a negation there. there there's a, uh, you're so dumb, you don't even know how bright you are. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it's, it's paradoxical, it's, it's weird. Um, 
but at, at, I think at its core, it's our unwillingness to be where they are in their struggle, our unwillingness to be in the discomfort of what they're experiencing and giving them the opportunity to flesh it out for us. Yeah, and that was something that was really I, maybe painful for me to recognize as we were looking at this is I often will do these overly positive responses and I really, I think a lot of it is, is if I were to receive what that person said of that struggle or that wound, I would feel it and I would hurt too and I don't want to hurt and yet if I'm going to love well, if I'm going to allow for actual vulnerability in my life, then actually that won't happen if I don't receive it and say, oh wow, yeah, I see that you feel really stupid. That must be not a fun place to be. Can you tell me more about that? And and to enter into that agony with them, um, that's a hard thing. Yeah, in Christian circles especially, I think some people feel obliged to be overly positive, right? To say, you know, God's got this, or God would never give you something more than you could handle, or... Um, it's all going to be fine. Have yeah, it'll work out trust. in the end. Yeah. And that's just not, it's not an authentic Christian response. The Christian response, Christ's response to our agony is to enter into our agony. Christ's response to our pain and suffering is to join us in our pain and suffering. He will bring healing, but he does that on his own time, right? There, there are um, yeah. you know, communities in the Christian world that will say things like, well, you know, God will fix you and God will make you well. And if he's not doing that yet, it's your own fault. And it's this weird sort of, it's so positive uh, that if it doesn't work out, the negation of it becomes so crushing. And it's just so strange. And it also doesn't seem to map onto how God actually works in the world, where there's an allowance of suffering and suffering is this invitation into intimacy with our Lord. So, yeah, there's the unwillingness to suffer is, it's a non-Christian response. Yeah, well, and and to, right, like God is in the present. And I think part of vulnerability is being in the present with somebody. So it is true that God does have this and that God will take care of it and that redemption is real and that Jesus already won. But in the midst of suffering, you're not, you're not on the other side yet. You're not into that victory yet. And so while it is good to know that, that, we will, that God will have the ultimate victory, when we're entering into somebody suffering with them, it, we can't actually bring through that glory and that resurrection if we haven't first been on the cross and so to be able to be willing to have compassion to suffer with somebody is that that's the first step in if you're going to actually be vulnerable with somebody if you're actually going to to be present with somebody um and if you're actually going to bring them through to that to the lord bringing that victory forth not just me sort of I almost want to say prophesying. It's like, but not really, you know, not in the true sense of the word. Yeah, and there, there's also this sense that when someone is sharing something that is tough, 
we have this opportunity to love them and to treat them as a person, not as a problem to be fixed. And so when we treat them as a person, we ourselves become more person personal, right? And what actually lifts people outside of their pain and suffering, it's an encounter with the transcendent, right? We had talked with our friend Josh Tacolini about Christian anthropology and the emotions a few weeks back, and the the experience of the transcendent is something that can lift us above uh, whatever pain or suffering that we have. And one of the ways that we can be lifted up is to uh, experience someone loving us and to realize there is a person who is able to experience the value of me. And because I can see them appreciating the value of me, I am now able to perceive more clearly the value that is them. And when I do that, suddenly the world is not just about my pain. The world is not just about uh, whatever is wrong or whatever might be wrong or whatever I'm afraid of what might be wrong or, or my concerns. The world also includes another subject, another a thou to my eye. And it gets me out of myself. Mm. This is one of the beautiful things about being in communion with another is that we can share something that brings up brings us out into the light of the transcendent so i i, I mean these roadblocks end up masking who we are to the other they end up uh, not showing forth us at our best at our most loving and that's one of the 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 worst things about it is that by being more present to them just by being more present to them, we can offer them more than any of the solutions we could think of because the value of the human person is actually greater than the suffering. And this is also an interesting thing because I think this requires that now I, as the, the listener, become vulnerable to the vulnerable sharer by just being present with them and not trying to speed things along by being over positive, overly positive or making things more surface level and about me in a superficial sort of way. So this is also about how vulnerability calls forth vulnerability, I suppose. Yeah. And that the roadblocks are when somebody is being vulnerable and I'm saying, oh, no, no, I am not going to step into that with you. I know sometimes I get sad and you've had this question for a long time. What am I supposed to do when you're sad, Joseph? And it finally hit me. All I, all I really want you to do is to be with me and to tell me that you love me because I need to be called out of myself. And there is no solution that you can offer greater than you. Mm. I do love you. Oh, wow. Really? So much. Oh, wow. But for real, though. But for real, though. And I really like reporting, recording podcasts with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if our listeners like listening to them. Is this a segue? It is a segue. I, I, I could see it because there was a glint in your eyes. <laughs> it was a segue glint. <laughs> is this where we ask for them to share it and to, to rate it, give it stars, write reviews, share it? I, I said share. Discuss Dis also, right? Yeah. Like yeah. We, we don't want these podcasts to be um, an end we want these to be beginnings. Yes. We want this to start conversations with people 
not not to be the thing that we do while we're doing dishes or on a drive that we never really talk to people about. Yeah. And if you would like to hear about more of the roadblocks, again, feel free to let us know. And we'll put contact things in the show notes. I'll also put a link to the book that I've referred to both, well, not explicitly. Um, so hopefully the makers of this book aren't mad at me. But uh, this was our textbook in my interpersonal communications class in college. I'll put a link probably to Amazon to where you can find it. People okay. Skills by Robert Bolton. Also, maybe with some asterisks of some of the things that are maybe problematic about it. Cause it's yeah, it's not perfect. perfect. Um, but it's most helpful. interpersonal relationships aren't. That's true. But it has a lot of good things in it. Um, it's very heavily influenced by Carl Rogers. He's not... Um, he, he's not perfect, um, but he offers some correctives to some issues of the day. And where he's wrong, uh, I don't support him. But where he's right, I do. And look <laughs> at that. I just, uh, there we go. There you go. With that, I'm going to pray. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this conversation. I pray, um, especially... For our listeners and for ourselves, that we might be open to being in the present with people, be open to vulnerability, and be aware of places where we are in the way of that, and that we would have the grace to step aside. We ask all this in the holy name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 